Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What uh, a beautiful verse. Good morning. My name's Ray. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, and it's such a, a beautiful uh, passage to hear. And our heart is that when we hear words like that, we really believe that God is speaking to us, that those words have meaning for us. We're going to get right into this today. Um, I, I think most people here, you have a mobile phone. If you, if you do, take it out. Take out your mobile phone. You don't have to pretend you're reading the Bible app. Just take it out. You, you all have some sort of chat app in there, I imagine. WhatsApp, iMessage, um, Facebook Messenger. Just do a mental calculation, if you will. Try to do, calculate how many um, groups that you're a part of in your chat apps. Is it in the tens, in the fifties, hundreds? Um, if you're anything like me, you have too many. You have more than you can count. And um, y- you find that there's a, there's a message that comes through, and it's like, oh, I didn't know I was part of that group before. Uh, <laughs> but the question I have for you is, out of all those groups that you're a part of, how many groups do you truly feel a part of? How many groups do you truly feel like, this is, this is where I belong? Not out of a sense of obligation, not of a, uh, out of a sense of um, a convenience, but a sense that this is me. My guess is that that number is far smaller. In fact, it could number one, two, three of them. And my guess is that you probably would want to, be co- to belong to more groups like that. Because when you find that sense of belonging, when you find a place where you are seen and you're known and you're loved and you're wanted, you know that that is something truly, unbelievably precious. And you would do anything to maintain that, to keep that. And that type of belonging, that type of of, of belonging to something, it will change and transform everything that you do. That's the type of belonging that we're talking about this morning, the belonging um, to God. 
And now, as a church, Howard mentioned, we're going through this series, the Bible in 12 verses, 12 verses to cover all of the Bible, and the Bible is this grand, it's the grand overarching story that makes sense of all the little stories, all of our stories. That's what we believe, and this week, we're in, in, in week 11, 11 of 12. So if you're, if you're just joining us today, welcome again. You can catch up on verses 1 to 10 online um, uh, from our website. But we see that this story pulls us in, pulls us into this big story. And, and now we get to get pulled in so that we see ourselves in this story. Last week, we looked at Easter and the work of Jesus Christ. That's the climax of the story. Everything in the Bible led up to, led up to Jesus and what he did and everything following that. In the, in the history of the Bible and now in our history flows from that. We're now on the other side of what people have called the hinge of history. And the question that we're asking today is, so what? So what that Easter happened? What does that have to do with me? How do I fit into that story? good news of Jesus is that now, as a result of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we can be seen, we can be known, we can be loved, we can belong in the greatest way possible. It's being included and adopted into God's family. See, the gospel isn't just about the cancellation of a debt that we could never repay, but it does include that. The gospel is so much more. The gospel tells us that those who have been pronounced free from the guilt and punishment of sin are thereby simultaneously adopted in as children and counted as objects of God's fatherly love. What this 11th verse, Galatians 4 verse 6, shows us is that you and I are in the big story. You're in the story that makes sense of everything. And out of the four main acts of that story, from from creation to fall to redemption to restoration, we have now been brought in and we get to play our part in the restoration of all things. We are adopted for life, adopted for living, to put it differently. Not only that, we have a part to play. And it's, we're not just background extras that you see in, in movies. We have a leading role in God's rescue plan that culminates in the restoration of all things. And wouldn't you want to be a part of that story? Wouldn't you want to be a part of that making new of everything? Aren't you tired of all the the brokenness, sin, evil, suffering? What Jesus did, his redemption of us and uh, and our adoption in pulls us into the story in at least three ways. Number one, it gives us our purpose. Uh, Number two, it provides us a place, uh, a place where we belong. And number three, it fills us with the passion we need to live as adopted children of God. Purpose, place, and passion. Now, first purpose. What do you use a cup for? Well, yeah, you can use... you can use a cup for many things, right? I mean, I have my, my keys in here. Um, sometimes I use a cup 
after I've finished drinking a coffee, I use it and, and put pens in there. So you can put pens in there. But you can, <laughs> sorry, just leave it. But the purpose of this cup, the primary purpose is, is to be used as a vessel for drinking, right? And this cup is fulfilling its purpose when it is used as such for a vessel for drinking. Now, let's turn that question inwards on ourselves. What is your purpose? What were you made for? Do you, do you get a sense of what that is? And the life that you're living now, do you get a sense that you're living according to your purpose? Do you feel that, that oh yeah, this is, this, is, this is me, this is what I'm made for? Or if like a lot of us, like most of us, like all of us at some point, do you feel sort of uneasy, uncomfortable, feeling unhappy with your situation. You, 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 you're struggling to understand why is it that I don't fit in? I just can't grasp what's missing. Well, that's what living for the wrong purpose feels like. You just don't feel like you're, you're in the right place. Now, in this letter to the Ephesians, uh, the Galatians, the Apostle Paul defines who we are who are redeemed by Christ. He writes in 4 verse 6, because you are sons. Those who have been redeemed by Christ are given a brand new status, a brand new title. They are sons and heirs. Now, wh- why doesn't Paul say here, uh, because you are sons and daughters? And why don't we, in our modern translations of the Bible, in, in modern language, why don't we say sons and daughters? Well, there's a reason for this, and the reason is both symbolic and technical in, in the way what Paul is writing. So Paul is using this very powerful metaphor to describe what happens when a person who was far from God gets redeemed by God to be in relationship with God. He's using this, this, this metaphor, adoption. And for, for, for Paul's audience, those who are hearing this, adoption doesn't doesn't pass on its full effects except for sons, male heirs of of the family. And the full benefits of adoption are the inheritance of of the title, uh, the inheritance of the estate, uh, the rights and responsibilities. All All these things technically only apply to sons. But what Paul is actually saying, because you, plural, are sons, he's actually making a general statement. He's saying that there is uh, you, no matter whether you're male or female, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're, you're, you're a master or a servant, everyone who has been redeemed by God is God's son. And it shows us that the, the scope and scale of God's redemptive work, his restorative work, is expanded beyond the, the boundaries that we normally know of. So when we hear, because you are sons, we really ought to hear it because all of us are sons, whether you're male or female. Because you are sons, you have a new purpose. Now, before, before you are redeemed by Christ, you might think, well, I want to go to, to such and such a place. I want, to, I want to pursue this hobby. I want this type of career. I want to pursue so-and-so doesn't matter. I want to pursue these relationships. And you might be thinking, well, actually, what's wrong with that? Ray, Ray, are you saying that if 
Christians, uh, Christians don't have this choice. Uh, if I become a Christian, I suddenly lose the, 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 the potential to choose what I want. Well, that sounds really, really restrictive. It sounds like my, my, my hands are being tied. But it, if you've ever been on that pursuit, if you've ever been on that treadmill before, you've probably discovered, or you probably will, that these pursuits all end the same way. You jump from pursuit to pursuit, night out to night out, from career to cause, and you discover that none of these things truly scratch the itch. None of these things truly satisfy. And you get the sense of feeling aimless. What am I doing? You get the sense of feeling lost or, or disconnected. What initially promised freedom, the ability to choose to do whatever, wherever, whenever you wanted, those things actually start feeling like shackles and bars that are holding you down. You are sons. You have a new purpose, and this purpose will set you free because you are the inheritor of the father's estate. You not only get all the benefits of the estate, the glorious riches in Christ, as we looked at in Ephesians, but you have a job now as a son. You have a mission. You have a reason for being that calls every fiber of your being into action. You are the father's son. And as his son, you represent the father and his affairs to the world. Now, what is, what is the father about? What do we know about the father? Well, he's about creating. He takes chaos and nothing, and he, he brings order and beauty to it. He's about blessing. He's, he's about showing his grace and favor on those who, who cannot and, and will not earn it. He's about redeeming. He's about taking those the world has written off and cast aside. He's about restoring their worth and dignity. He's about justice. He's about restoration, taking the injustices and the pain of this world and making all things new. You know how he does this? He does this with you. He does this by adopting you as his son, joining you in the mission of his beloved son, Jesus. Notice, however, that in this passage, children and heirs are not automatically sons. In the first part of, of this chapter, Paul distinguishes from children and sons. He, you see, even though children are, are owners, a part of the family, until they, they reach uh, an age where they're mature enough, they're functionally like servants in the house. They, they live under the rule of guardians and managers. Now, the parallel of this in the spiritual life is that we can relate to God under the rules, under, under the cans and cannots. Children can be heirs, yeah? Children can follow rules, but they don't, and they, they often do not understand the reason for those rules, and they don't understand the person behind those rules. But in Christ, in Christ, you are sons. And now you can have a real relationship with God as your father in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now this, 
brings up a, a very sobering thought to me that you can that one can know about Jesus. One can know about the forgiveness of sins. One can be an heir of the household, but still functionally be little more than a slave. And it causes me to ask, are, are, are you a child still? Are you still just a child of the household? Do you know about all these things? But you've, you've held on to your childhood. You're a spiritual infant. You understand God through what you can and cannot do, but you've not experienced the full joy, the liberating joy of salvation, knowing God as your heavenly father. Are you a child still? Do you know God personally, intimately? Do you trust God? See, our adoption, it gives us a a divine purpose. We are his sons, and as sons, we have a purpose that liberates us from uh, uh, this sense of aimlessness, this sense of purposelessness, feeling lost, to take our our place in that story, making all things new. Our adoption also gives us our place. Our place, the context and the relationships to fulfill the purpose that he's given us. We've been given the privilege position as adopted sons. We have been redeemed into God's family with the privilege of calling God Abba Father. Our access is like, is like JFK Jr. That's a picture of JFK Jr. sitting under the resolute desk in the Oval Office. That's the Oval Office. That's the, that's the, 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 the seat of what, what some may call the most powerful man on earth where, where the big decisions are made. And that's the president of the United States. But to JFK Jr., that's his dad. That's his father. And he gets to sit there and enjoy that presence. Likewise, our adoption means that we get to relate to God now as our father and say to him, my father. And you might ask, well, how is this any different to the way that um, people understood God before? Before Jesus, before Easter, before all of that, how, how is that any different? Wasn't God also God the Father in the Old Testament? Well, the answer is yes, of course. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is a father. But what we find in the story of the Bible is an unfolding, an unveiling of this idea that God is, God is a father. God first reveals himself as, as father to Israel in Exodus 4. 22 and 23. He gives this relationship that he has with Israel to Moses to tell Pharaoh as the reason to release Israel from slavery. He says, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. This is how you know God's being serious. He says, thus says the Lord. He says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. So the relationship is there. And we see that concept in seed form and it gets developed in over, over the scriptures and into the New Testament. But at the end of the Old Testament, by the end of the Old Testament, we get the, the main idea that we get from God as father is, is limited in a way. Uh, he, he, we know that he's a, he's a power and he has authority. Well, it's sort of like a father would for his household. Uh, he's able to redeem, that, that he's one that you look to as, as, as the head of the household. But 
even by the end of the Old Testament, you would never think, and you would never dare talk about God with any sense of familiarity. You would never relate to him, and you would never say, my father. That's why in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, John's biography of Jesus' life, he records that Jesus says these words, and to us it doesn't really sound like much, but he says, my father is working until now, and I am working. John 5, verse 17 to 18. But when the people then heard it, it was scandalous to them. You don't say this about God. And in fact, it was so scandalous that it was for this reason they wanted to kill Jesus. They started plotting to kill him. Jesus, on this side of Ezer, he's opened the way to the Father he's, so that we can know not just the power and authority and the provision of God, but we get to know him. We get to know him relationally as our Father, personally and intimately. In Christ, we get to know that we get to know God as Jesus knows God. How can we count on this? How do we know this? Because the spirit of Jesus has been sent into our hearts, crying, Abba, Abba, Father. Now this, this phrase, this title of God, Abba, Father, it only occurs three times in the New Testament. Three times. Once here in this passage, Galatians 4, 6. A, a parallel passage also written by Paul in Romans um, where he writes uh, in Romans 8, 15 and 16, for, uh, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now the only other time, another place we see God being called Abba, Father from the lips of Jesus on the night that he knew he would be betrayed and handed over surrounded by darkness alone at his most vulnerable in the garden of Gethsemane in the gospel of Mark chapter 14 verse 34 we, we read and he said to them that's it that is his disciples my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, when Jesus had nowhere else to turn, he called for his Abba. God was still the, the creator and the master of the cosmos. God had the power and the authority to make everything out of nothing with but a word. But the most important thing in that moment to Jesus was the closeness and intimacy of his Abba Father. Do you know God like that? Do you, do you know God in a way where you can run to him? You can run into his embrace. You know God so intimately that you can just run into his, his embrace, feel his arms around you, and 
know, truly know that everything wrong will be made right. That everything's going to be okay. Because you can. You can. In Christ, we have the same privilege. We have the same access to our Abba Father as Jesus did. We have a place in his presence. We belong to God. He's our Abba Father. And that means we also belong to each other, to one another. Because you are sons, sons means that there's more than one of us. Um, We are sisters and brothers who are a family of sons with God as our father. That means then, in the family of God, there's no single children. There's no single adopted children. There's no lone wolves. The purpose for which you are made is and adopted into is shared with sisters and brothers from around the world, from, from every tribe, nation, and tongue. You have sisters and brothers you don't even know about. And that means that every advance that you make for the Father's mission advances the purpose for the entire family of God. Every misstep, misstep that you might take you, you do that knowing that you have a family of sisters and brothers who've got your back. And so when you see this happening elsewhere, when you see gospel advance, even though you don't know them, you can rejoice and celebrate because it's part of the same family. And that means that we can grieve, we can lament, we can truly mourn when we see suffering. And we can build up, we can we can encourage and we can strengthen. That's why we can stand with our brothers around the world who are suffering, those, those in Ukraine, those in Ethiopia, those who are in an area of, of conflict. It means we can stand with those who are suffering around us. This is true for us globally, yeah? We're, we're, we're a global church. But this must be true for us locally here. Don't look at me for a moment. Look around. Look around the room. See your family. See your sister and your brother. We must be on mission together. Westminster Chapel, do you know what that is? Are we doing that together? The first step to that is is to know one another well enough. When you look across the room, do you see someone that you love? Do you love them? Do you know them? Do Do you know what makes them tick? Do you know their joys? Do you know their struggles? Do you share your joys and sorrows with them? This must be true of us. We are a family. We're on mission together. So ask yourself, as just where you sit today, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, what can you do right now, today, to get to know your family better? Does it mean that today you're going to to listen to someone? You're going to be a listening ear. Or maybe today you need to be the one speaking. You need someone to listen to you. 
we need to share with vulnerability with another family member? Or can it be as simple as just asking someone to pray with you and for you? In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to do that, to receive prayer from, from your brothers and sisters. If that's the step you need to take, do it. Because in Christ, we are family. It's what unites us. It's what enables us to stand with those who are suffering. It allows us to sit with the oppressed and lift up weary heads. We are not alone when we seek out injustice and we extend mercy. Together, we can be agents of blessing and refreshing to one another, to the streets, to the neighborhoods, to the cities and the nations, for everyone that are, they're, they're languishing because they don't know why they were made. They don't know what they were made for and for whom they were made. The work's going to be hard. It's going to feel like it takes too long. It always does. But it's not in vain because it's for the renewal of all things and it's for the glory and renown of our Abba Father. Does that, do, does, that, does that do anything for you? Does that stir you up at all? Does that make you want to do anything? Are you ready to do something for that, to, to live out that purpose? Because if you even have an inkling of that, uh, an inkling of that passion, that passion is proof of this verse. You see, our adoption, it gives us the purpose, it gives us our place, the context of what we're living, and it also gives us the passion we need to live it out. And the only way, the absolute only way that anyone is able to call out to God and say, Abba, Father, and truly live this way for his purpose is because they have the spirit of their son in their hearts. With this spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. It's, it's crying. It's a cry. It's filled with passion. It's filled with energy and emotion. It's, it's full-bodied. It's a cry from the gut. It's how Jesus cried when he, when he was sorrowful to the point of death. It's not just thinking. It's not just saying something. It's not even just shouting something. It's something like instinctual. It comes from your gut. It's unforced. It's unbidden. It's unashamed. And it's only possible when the Spirit of God, the Spirit of his Son, is in you. You know, there's a... There's a sort of like a Bible geek thing. It's not so obvious here in the ESV and, and in the translation here, but the grammatical structure of the Greek, you know, eyes are glazing over as I'm saying this. Um, bear with me, it gets better. <laughs> the the gram grammatical structure of the Greek in this passage makes it clear that the person who's crying out, Abba, Father, it's not the individual, actually. It's not you. It's not me. It's the Spirit the Spirit living in you, crying, Abba, Father. How unbelievably gracious is that? How amazing is that? We don't have the ability to even call out to God and say, Abba, Father. We don't have it in us to recognize God as Abba, Father. But the Spirit of God indwelling in us gives us that so that we can cry out to God, giving us giving us a, a sense of, of purpose, place, and passion. This is the same spirit that enabled Jesus to live his life in perfect obedience to the Father. It allowed him to say, I and my Father are one. That's the spirit in you. It's the same spirit that propelled him on the road to the cross where he would be betrayed and he would take on the injustice of the world, both yours and mine. 
It's the same spirit that Jesus promised to us as helper, counselor, guide, the spirit of truth. And it's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, conquering death. That spirit cries out on our behalf. And that spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding for us. And by this spirit living in you and I, we can actually take our place in God's story of redemption and restoration. Now, how can we know that God will really give us his spirit? He's already given us his son, Jesus. We can entrust our lives to Abba Father because he's given his only begotten and beloved son. Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus had a place, you see. He was there with the Father in eternity, right there with the Father at his right hand. And our welcome into the presence of God is guaranteed because Jesus humbled himself and gave up his place to come here on earth to live amongst us so that we could join him in that place, in his place. We know that God will give us his spirit because when Jesus took on all of our sin, all of our injustice, he, he took it on the cross and he brought it into the courtroom before the judge, ready for sentencing. And in that moment, the cross turned the courtroom into a, an adoption ceremony so that we could hear and know the words that Jesus heard. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God sends his spirit, the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, to testify to us that neither death nor life nor angels, nor, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. His spirit living in you enables you to declare passionately, to sing with integrity the words of that familiar song. Blessed assurance Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God. Born of his spirit. Washed in his blood. Do you know the joyful assurance of the Father's love for you? Do you know that? Do you hear the voice of God telling you that you are accepted, that you belong. You've been brought in. You're adopted. You're a son. You have a purpose. You have a mission. Do you know who you are? And when that story is finally written, the story about you, what would you like it to be about? What do you want your story to be about? Let's pray together. Father of creation, Lord of heaven and earth, you are a holy God, the King of kings, majestic beyond what our 
minds can grasp and imagine. You are so other, so, 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 so beautiful, so dazzlingly beautiful that we couldn't even look at you. And yet you, you look upon us. You look at us and you, you say, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You give us your, your son, Jesus. You give us Jesus. You also give us your spirit. You adopt us into your family. Lord, let this reality, let this truth transform us. Let this reality sink in so deeply into our hearts so that we can we have, we're completely unashamed when we cry out to you. We know you. We know your presence. We run to you. We know each other. Help us, Lord, we pray, by your Spirit living in us. Guide us, lead us into all truth. Help us to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. listening to sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.